0: Welcome to another video game travelogue presented by Gunblade Guys and the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast. My name is Tyler, and if you haven't heard my first travelogue, which was for Earthbound Beginnings, here's a brief review about what's going on here. A travelogue is basically an audio essay of my adventure through a video game. It is my personal narrative, revealing my thoughts and experiences as I play through it. I first heard about the Hilux series on Reddit. Sometime in 2020, there was a thread that discussed very under-the-radar RPGs that are worth checking out. One of the commenters mentioned Hylix and described it as an MTV commercial bumper on acid. I had never heard of an RPG described in such a way, so I had to check it out. I watched a trailer on Steam and became fascinated with Mason Lindroth's imagination, who brought his inner world to life in motion capture, a fairly unique alternative to the production of in-game graphics in an era where realistic CGI and quaint pixel art reign. I bought both the original and sequel on Steam, played a little of both, and thought that the second would make for a really great follow-up travelogue. I want to underscore to listeners that this is not a review of Hylix 2. I will not be going over the game's development history, I'm not going to compare Hylix 2 to the original, I'm not going to rate this game some number out of 5 or 10, and I'm not even going to make a recommendation that you should play it. I am NOT going to cover absolutely everything that can happen in this game. This is my personal experience but only in my personal experience. It is all of my cleverness and all of my foolishness, it is everything I experienced and nothing I didn't. This means if I missed a treasure or a skill or passed by some special secret or easter egg, it may not even come up. So don't treat this like a guide on how to play Hilux 2. Treat it more like… video game storytelling. This is simply Hilux 2 retold as a player experienced it as the game unfolded before them, from beginning to end each moment richly detailed, with illustrative descriptions that share what the adventure was like for me, plus music, sound effects, my reactions, thoughts, theories, and other humorous nuggets sprinkled throughout. With all that out of the way, this is Beyond the Moon Dreams of Madness, a Hilux 2 Travelogue. Enjoy. Game loads. Several gloved hands emerge from the bottom of a black screen. The fingers contort to take the shape of six letters, kind of like Shadow Puppetry, but instead of animals, it's letters of the alphabet. The six letters spell Hylix, H Y L I C S. With another gloved hand that holds up a number two, indicating that this is the sequel to the original Hylix. The gloved hands have a leather or latex texture, but are colored red, and their motion captures rendered in low fidelity, giving it a realistic look, although very grainy and distressed. The words fade and the title screen appears. It's a barren landscape, like a desert from a Salvador Dali painting, discordant electric guitar plays, There are a few sparse shrubs marking the ground, and the night sky has a sprinkle of stars above. But the eye immediately goes to three grotesque claymation creatures that dance and wriggle in place. One is a leggy, fleshy humanoid with spindly arms and legs, a tall, narrow head with no recognizable facial features, and wears a strapless black and white pinstripe suit coat or dress. Another is a floating eyeball monster colored bluish-gray with several small tentacles dangling from a protective, fleshy carapace covering the eyeball. The third creature is less menacing. It crawls in the sand, an alien-like grub with a blue torso, yellow tail, yellow millipede-like legs, and a yellow head with two horns that make the head take the shape of an upward turned crescent moon. There are two pink donuts on the ground. The one in the foreground is small and circular, and the one in the back is wider. The gloved hands we saw a minute ago re emerge from the wider donut and spell out H Y L I C S, and the smaller donut has the gloved hand holding the number two. The hands from the splash screen were frozen images, but here, at the title screen, they're animated, idling weirdly in place. Then a menu of options appears New, Load, input and exit, with a Terry Gilliam-esque grayscale hand pointing its index finger at the current selection. I select New. The screen goes black and an obscure mask or something like that made of strips of Laffy Taffy zoom into focus. The strips immediately peel back to reveal a figure made of white coils, like a mummy made of tightly wound landline telephone cord. This figure then opens in the center and a yellow-green seed floats out of it. It transforms into the yellow sand bug I saw from the title screen. Yellow crescent moon-shaped head, dark blue body, yellow tentacle legs, and yellow tail. The telephone cord mummy disappears. We zoom up to the animal as it wriggles stage right. It pauses to press its head down into the darkness, and its blue body expands and contracts as if it is consuming something on the ground. We zoom to the creature's head so hard that the screen goes completely yellow. This abstract bizarreness cuts to a bedroom. Or it looks like a bedroom. There's a humanoid here with a yellow crescent moon-shaped head lying face down in the bed. It's dressed neck to toe in black leather. It lies in a pink bed with a pink sheet, half of which is slipped off the side and spread out on the ground. Nearby, there is a yellow desk, green desk chair, and a silver mirror. On one wall, there is a massive, abstract painting and a single strand of cherry-colored pull-and-peel licorice candy on the floor, although it is as large as a snake. I take control of this moon-headed creature. Pressing some buttons on my controller, I can see he, or it, can jump. When it jumps, it pulls its arms and legs together and tips its chin upwards. Another action it can take is slipping off his left glove and slapping it into the air in front of him, like he's a Victorian man of means challenging someone to a duel. I open up the menu. The name Wayne appears next to a close-up of the thing's yellow moon-shaped head alongside three stats. Flesh, 60 out of 60. Will, 60 out of 60. And power, 13. I can see flash is like health. Will is like magic points. And power, I assume, is something like attack power. I estimate that this The character window has enough space to fit three more characters. On the menu's left side is a series of selections, Things, Garbs, Gestures, Save, Load, Exit, and Options. Things is my inventory. This creature named Wayne is holding a mini-crystal, which can be used to teleport Wayne to a prior spawn point. Garbs looks like equipment. Wayne has two equipment slots, Glove and Accessory, both of which are empty. Gestures looks a lot like skills. Wayne has two of them already. Dissolution, which the tooltip says inflicts the eponymous status on a target reducing its power by 20% and damaging flesh over time for three turns at the cost of 20 will. The second skill is called Perish, which when used, you proceed immediately to the afterlife. This sounds like a one-way ticket to the game over, kid. When I check the mirror, I am able to change my appearance. This changes Wayne's suit to a dark blue jumpsuit with matching knee-high boots and a shawl that blows gently in the wind, but I like the black leather better, so I keep the original outfit. In the room nearby, there are two white mollusks or mobile organs on the ground. They're crawling around on the floor, and there's one of those Wayne larva things here too. A two-tone yellow and blue poster of a Ron Perlman-like face adorns a wall, and a melting cube of metal rests below it like as if it were an entertainment center. The desk chair moves around when I push it, so I push into the other room, and I don't... I don't know what I'm doing here. I approach one of those Wayne larvas, and when I select it, Wayne pets the Wayne larva on the head like a puppy dog. There's a floating silver coin atop another melting cube. I jump and I catch it. In my menu, my currency, called bones, is increased from zero to one. I descend a nearby staircase and find two identical Waynes watching a retro-adjacent TV made of pink clay. No, not Wayne larva, full-grown, leather-bound Waynes. Like me, one is floating magically, and the other is sitting with his head turned down and his knees pulled inward. The TV is displaying swells of blue slashes against a white background. The floating Wayne says TVs bestow knowledge of gestures. The sitting Wayne says back when the accretion hit, the strongest gesture was buried. I check the TV. The scene melts away and the TV zooms into focus. Black, gloved hands appear before the TV, like as if in a first-person view. The hands idle in outstretched anticipation as an array of white clay strips emerges from the screen. The strips peel away, revealing an enormous kidney beam stratified with white and black layers. The layers divide in half as they peel away from each other, rejoin, spread out into two mismatched rows, and disappear. Following all of that, a prompt appears. I learned poromer Bleb. that's P-O-R-O-M-E-R space, B-L-E-B. All of this imagery is the animation of the gesture when used in battle, but the sound effects for when we learn any gesture from a TV is always this. But going forward, every time I describe a freshly learned gesture, I'm going to play its in-battle sound effects in its place. So here's Peromer Bleb. I check the gestures list, and yes, those words are in the skill list now. The tooltip says it restores a third of flesh and grants defend status. peromer bleb is a heal spell and I don't understand why. I leave the house and emerge into the training grounds. There are at least 15 identical adult Waynes here. Eight of them are practicing jumping with a drill leader. Another two are practicing their glove slaps against dummies. Four are practicing tumbling which is not an action I have yet taken myself. One slapping Wayne says if you slap to initiate combat you'll get some bonus will. The other says, quote, Old Wayne has a task for me and he's up at the top of the house. When I slap the spare dummy, it shudders in place. The jumping drill leader says if I hold the jump, I will do a slow fall. One of the tumbling Waynes says the Old Wayne says we have to be ready in case Gibby is reconstituted. And I wonder who this Gibby is. Another tumbler says rolling can help you avoid battles. A third tumbler says those who bear pneumatophores may dodge while airborne. Some may even briefly fly. I look up this word and I can tell you that pneumatophore describes a bladder of air. Oh, and I haven't said this yet, but I'm playing this game on a USB controller, and as I derp around the training yard, I discover L trigger is the run button and R trigger, well that is the roll dash. Neither have cooldowns either, which is awesome. The environment of the training grounds is difficult to describe. I feel like I'm walking around in a painting. My impression is that the ground is like sand, but what I'm really seeing is simply brushes of black and yellow against an abstractly textured background of periwinkle with trace accents of mustard and pink. I circumnavigate the house from the outside. It has three levels, each of which are tiered with meandering, wandering rounded edges. To one side is an oddly shaped ramp that looks like an elephant's trunk and it grants me access to the second level without having to go inside some other structure is nearby has no doors and I'm inclined to think it's the corpse of some enormous thing drying out in the post-human Sun two stalks or antennas rise off it creating platforms in the sky that are well out of reach I climb the trunk and walk an exterior ramp lined by floating coins I mean bones to the third level sitting under a colorful beach umbrella on a pink cushion is a horrific monstrosity. It is an enormous Wayne larva. Horns and all, it seems about 20 feet tall. Instead of a human's face, it has two rows of vacant black holes in the saddle of its moon-shaped head. Instead of coming to an end in points, the ends of this thing's horns come to a set of yet more yellow moons. It has big, puffy yellow lips. It has a cloak of dark blue like the larva do, but this one wears it like a ragged robe. Its tail ticks and squirms off to the side. Is this the old Wayne? The old Wayne and Wayne larva each had tails and dark blue things, I'll just call them robes, covering their midsections, but me, an adult Wayne, doesn't have those features. Am I concealing a tail and a robe inside this leather outfit? I approach the cushion, but I can't speak to it. I have to get closer. I jump onto the cushion, and it speaks. The stars forecast a flourishing of proscribed gestures. Gibby's agents work to reconstitute their master. Proceed west and seek our ally, Blerol. That's B-L-E-R-O-L, that he might be forewarned. Alas, the others haven't completed their training, so you will go alone. I return to the house's interior to see what else I can find. I glove slap one of those creatures on the ground, not a larva creature, one of those other things, and it explodes into goopy sparkles of yellow and pink. Glove slapping a Wayne larva does nothing. Around a corner, there's a staircase descending downward. Down here is a cave with another adult Wayne, and the topmost tier of a chocolate fondue fountain burbling out of a hole in the ground. The nearby Wayne says pools with fountains are linked to the afterlife. From there, you may return to any such pool you've previously entered. There are jars nearby, three of them, and they each contain juice, cookie, and, quote, empty. I walk into the fountain, I sink, and I disappear. When I reappear, I'm on a beach with a single larva nearby. This doesn't look like the training grounds. Is this the afterlife I've heard about? Pink and blue waves gently wash against the shore. Something is sitting cross-legged atop a segmented column on a hill, but I cannot speak to it. A brown humanoid creature with a rat-like snout and doughy spikes pointing out of its head says, these Wayne larvas have just emerged. They'll be sent to the house when their carapaces harden up. West of him is a land bridge that dead ends to a dying adult Wayne writhing on the ground. When I check him, I receive, quote, meat, and it disappears. A yellow vase nearby is storing a burrito. I take this burrito. Nearby, a hole in the cliff has an impassable gate in front of it. A ramp to its side winds upwards a couple levels until reaching a door to a room in the air held up by metal poles. I go in. There's another brown creature here standing in front of a clawfoot bathtub. It says clean means respite from bad statuses for a little while. Please go ahead. I check the bathtub and the screen blinks white. The word CLEAN appears with yellow lettering over Wayne. I go up a staircase and find a room with a TV, but its screen is one of those metal grinders where it has two parallel cylinders with spikes spinning inwards. I check it, it says one meat tendered, maximum flesh increased by one. It seems I have processed my dying clone into this machine for a permanent durability benefit. Creepy, standing in front of an erect sea anemone sprouting out of the floor says, I'm using this one, find your own. I step outside and find a plaza floating in the sky. A pool with another burbling chocolate fountain is nearby. The creature in brown standing next to it, stirring the water with an oar says, you gonna like select a destination? A menu opens and I can select one destination. Wayne House. Nearby, there is an arch with a stone gangplank stretched out over a cliff. I jump to a trampoline, where I can hop from column to column to reach that creature hanging out on top of another column near the beach. When I reach it, it says, Machines Upstairs. Warp pools past that. Welcome to the afterlife. I don't see anything else to do here just now, so I go to the pool. I sink and I reappear in the basement of the Wayne house. Now, our instructions by the old Wayne were to go warn this guy Blairall in a place called New Muldul. That's M U L D U L, New Maldul, which is to the west. I leave Wayne house with nothing but a couple snacks and seven bones to my name. The game loads an overworld map. East of me is Wayne House, and east of that is a land bridge of looping and curling tubes. South of Wayne House is a beach, and west is a path that runs between two foresty areas. My instructions are to go west, but I want to see what's on the other side of this bridge, so I go east. I realize this tangle of bridge dead ends over the sea, however there is an island I can jump to from the farthest side. After several attempts, I am able to land on the island, but I do not discover anything significant. Falling into the sea causes the screen to fade to black, where I am back again with Wayne lying face down on the beach near Wayne House, I go west. There is a humanoid on the map here wearing a strange metal hat. It says, Those who possess pneumatophores may cross the sea north to Viewaxe's edifice. And I have no idea what that means. Past him, the path splits. Northwest is a castle or a temple recognizable by habitable buildings, a dome and a parapet held up by columns, all of which take the texture of sandstone-colored stalactites. Southwest is more path between tufts of foliage. I enter the... I don't even know what to call it. The the structure, the Montezuma's castle looking thing. New Zone. One creature welcomes me to New Maldol. Before me is a burbling chocolate fondue fountain with a steppable button before it. I step on the button, which depresses, and enter the fountain. I return to the afterlife and the fondue tender at the top of the new teleport section says I have Wayne House or New Maldol I can go to. I return to New Maldol. There are small creatures on the ground that occasionally leap up into the air. One is a three-legged Kong-brand dog toy with a hole in the center, and the other is a coil of blue tentacles. When I touch them, they leap even higher into the air. Elsewhere there are other leaping creatures. Some look like floating dolls, dancing cats, or other kinds of bundles of tentacles. Another creature in blue, relaxing under the plinth of an enormous golden statue of a human-legged yet one-winged god knows what says, Long ago, Lord Gibulus. why? ruled this land. That prosperous era was cut short by wretched anarchists. I find a wain larva. I pet it. I find a gold coin, er, bone near a door. It seems that gold coins are worth five bones, a five bony bill. Inside the door, a blue humanoid wriggles in place on a couch. It says, it all comes down to a thoughtful use of consumables. The gray creature near him says, if you meet pool man, burning is effective. Battle tips ahoy. Above the staircase beyond is a humanoid in a blue cap and red robe weaving from side to side. It's a store. It sells burritos for six bones, juice for five, muscle applique for 200 and organ fort for 300. Muscle applique permanently increases power by one and organ forts are an equipable item that gives 35 flesh, three power and 12 will. I buy nothing because I don't have very many bones. Elsewhere in New Moldal, a sprinting figure in red says, Kalthamite husbandry brought us prosperity, but it also made us a target for opportunists like VUax. A humanoid creature in silver with its hands on its hips looking down on the statue courtyard says, they're doing a big excavation in the southwest. I tried to get a closer look, but was savagely whomped by Galliforms. Whatever they are, beware Galliforms, everybody. The roof one floor above him has a plank pointed westward over the water, encouraging me to leap and float across to another structure on the other side. I manage to snag all of the bones floating in the air, guiding my jump, but I am unable to correctly land on the misshapen island and, each time, fall into the sea, reappearing face down in the new Moldal beach. I move on from this challenge and see what else I can find here. A long-necked creature, like the one speaking to the anemone in the afterlife, says, It all happened so suddenly. Viewax's troops abducted the cafe owner. Without coffee, we'll be defenseless against spores. He's standing near a hole that drops into a cavern. I jump in and inside there's an unopenable gate to the west and an exit to the east, but is otherwise unremarkable. Aside from the, you know, general weirdness of absolutely everything here. Another blue humanoid lying next to another hole says, heat me, oh sun, and I jump down this hole. What the fuck is going on here? Three creatures wearing illuminated hard hats, gas tanks on their backs, and holding a power tool that has a circular saw at the end of a long stick are slicing at the cavern walls. Sparks illuminate the misshapen sides. One sings to itself, when hylothems are frondos, the harvest times upon us. Another says, the fronds are obviously valuable, but it's important to trim them anyway so you don't get pool men. A third says, sometimes we find them too late, and then you just have to tear them out before they turn bad. You hate to see that. We seem to be very weary of pool men. Nearby is a box holding two hot pepper tentacle shaped vegetables. These might be the fronds they were speaking of. And now that I look at the cavern, each sawman is sawing at an organic looking tentacle sprouting from the otherwise stony stalactite columns. Or maybe these weren't columns at all, maybe they're roots of some kind. I follow a power cord on the ground to another two sawmen. One clarifies that hyoliths are hylim rich cave formations and asks how oh, I'm just hearing about them now. Another suggests hylothems are at the foundation of their economy. Finding a rich vein translates to lots of bones. Beyond them is another impassable gate. Or maybe I'm on the other side of the one I saw earlier, it is difficult to tell. I follow the cord to the other direction, which ends in a power switch. I hop on the switch, turning something off elsewhere. As I type my notes, a brown figure charges at Wayne and a fight breaks out. We switch to a battle screen. Two enemies draw near. A cave Sinist and a Tyro. This battle screen looks an awful lot like an earthbound battle screen where there's some strange hallucinogenic background imagery going on while the creatures are in the foreground. And we don't actually see our heroes in the foreground. We just see an image of their face and their stats below that. So these monsters. The Cave Sinise is a humanoid whose stretchy torso shimmers blue and yellow, has a face like the cap to a Greek temple column, plus a yellow Las Vegas showgirl feather headdress complete with red, skin-tight boots. The Tyro is an unsettling shamble of green fur in a big, fleshy, human-like eye with four pink teeth-like pseudopods dangling below it. Wayne's face sparkles in the lower left corner. Side note here, I will learn later that this sparkling is because he has the clean status effect, which gives resistance to negative status effects. My battle options are snap, gesture, thing, and brace. I assume these translate to attack, abilities, items, and defend. I snap the Tyro. Wayne's black leather glove appears before the creature, snaps its fingers, and deals damage to the creature. Dealing damage reveals the creature's current and max health. It has 27 health from a maximum of 40, but the two creatures deal almost half my health during their own turns. I turn up the heat and gesture dissolution to the Tyro. Then the Tyro charges an ability, and when it completes its charge, a black telephone rings in front of it, and then the phone disappears. A third creature has joined the battle. He has, quote, called for help, I can see. This new creature is a Silimvog, S-I-L-I-M-V-O-G. It is a wiry, silver, candelabra, sea angel dancing in place. The Dissolution did good damage to the Tyro, but it only has 7 health left. I know that Dissolution does damage over time, so I target the Silimvog next, snapping at it. The Silimvog immediately restores its health, and the Cave Sinist wears me down to a quarter health. The cave sinist knifes me again, complete with a realistic mo knife spinning in my direction for its animation. I eat a cookie to restore health, and that reveals a mo buttery British style biscuit on the field that restores 40 health. But the two creatures wear me down to 23 health. I drink the juice, which reveals a mo juice box with a straw that Wayne consumes and then crushes with his gloved fist. <laughs> But wait, that doesn't restore my health. It restores will. Big mistake. Another two attacks, one of which was another knife, consumes all of my flesh. Wayne is slain. Oh, it's you again.
1: Oh, Tyler. How I missed you.
0: Oh, hello, game over kid who magically shows up to bully me every time I get a game over.
1: Did I just see your game over on the first fight you got into? Yeah. What's the matter with you?
0: I'm learning what these enemies do. There's no tutorial and I don't have any party members.
1: <laughs> Lies and excuses much? Okay, I've gotta go. I have to monitor Nate's World of Warcraft raid.
0: What's wrong with the raid?
1: There's not enough time to say right now, but it is not looking good.
0: <laughs> okay, have fun. Okay, so this is what actually happens when you get a proper game over. The screen goes black, and then a picture of Wayne looking up in despair fills the screen, then melts away, his yellow skin sloughing off of his body. I'm invited to continue the game if I press accept. I press accept and come to terms with the fact that I have gotten a game over on my first battle. I reappear in the afterlife with all of my flesh and will restored, but the juice and cookie are gone. I return to New Maldol by the Chocolate Fondue Fountain. I choose to avoid the Frond Cave and continue exploring the city. A silver humanoid standing over a stable of the same slappable critters I saw at Wayne House says, Slapping bugs is a great way to restore your flesh and will. Try it out sometime. That's good to know. That is really... Really good to know. Inside a house, Wayne speaks congenially to a horrific humanoid covered in red pine needles and a faceless head taking the shape of ox horns. Dedusselman, how's it going? This is that's spelled D-E-D-U-S-M-U-L-N? It says, No, I am Smuldene. dusselman went north, across the ocean, chasing rumors of active cabinets. The fuck does that mean? Also, in this room are a few floating masses of flesh. I think these things have faces, but the sprite is so abstract it's really hard to tell. One says its meditations have become so practical their bodies have become superfluous. The other says its wife and itself were stranded on the surface when the accretion buried the sage's great ship called Dystharln Moon. That's the name of a ship. Dystharln Moon. A spiral staircase takes me to a room with a yellow briefcase. Inside, I find boots. I equip boots. It gives me eight flash and six speed. Wonderful. Another door is locked from the inside. I climb a tower and pass a bridge that has two flags flying the image of a metal fist and something like a crown against a blue background. Past the bridge is something that looks like a manor two silver humanoids stand by the entrance. One says Chief Blairall is not in at the moment, but I'm invited to go in anyways. The other says, I knew Viewaxe would betray us. That villainous slug. Inside the manor is a blue humanoid with a red knight's helmet, but the helmet has thorns and other strange features springing off of it. And it has upturned corners that sort of look like Wayne's own moon-shaped head. Wayne says, Sir Pongorma, what brings you to New Muldle? It responds saying that tri-cushioned chair is vacant and Blairol has been abducted, taken away to Viewaxe's edifice to the north. Wayne agrees that we must save Blairol. Pongorma has sourced pneumatophores for the journey and trusts that I know how to use them. I gain quote pneumatophore and Pongorma joins the crew. Just north of Pongorma is a large green couch, the tri-cushioned throne, I presume. Elsewhere, there is a bulky creature in Beetlejuice Slack standing in the way of a staircase. I speak with it, and it says, None may enter the treasure room so long as I am here. I turn back. With a new party member, I decide to go back to the Frond Cave and see if we can actually win a battle this time. I re-engage the cave Sinist in Tyro. We focus the Tyro, hoping to burn it down before it calls a friend. After Wayne snaps it, it flees. The Sinist holds its ground, and we defeat it. We get a few bones, an antenna, and some meat, antennas increases charge's potency when given to a massive monitor, whatever that means. What is charge, by the way? Not the tooltips job to say. Farther into the cave, another sawman asks me if I have any juice. I don't, and he says his vitals are failing. I return to the store and buy some juice and give it to him. It is only now that I realize that the switch I hit earlier opened the gate and does indeed connect to the room that I thought it did. When I give him juice, he thanks me by giving me a key. I can use his monitor. It has soul crisper. I enter one of the locked doors I saw earlier, and there is an antique radio console sitting next to a potted plant waving in place. Seriously, this room looks like something straight out of the 1950s. I check the machine, and it zooms up to fill the entire screen. Wayne's hands appear in cryptic animation, like the time I learned the health restore skill, but this time the animation displays a red circle that simultaneously burns and drips as wet sounds play out. Wayne has learned soul crisper. According to the tooltip, targets burn for two turns. I practice using my new metaphor. When I hit dash during a jump, Wayne and the other crew members propel forward head first and spin like a sidewinder. This is basically an air dash, increasing your airborne forward momentum by a ton. This must be how you get to that island I was trying to get to earlier near the new moldal entrance. I try it and it works! I enter the hole in the island. It's another store. There are a variety of gloves hanging on the wall in a variety of shapes. Long gloves for 19 bones, material mitts for 79, pleather gauge for 170, tendril hand for 350. I buy two long gloves because that's all I can afford. Both crew members equip it. A large treasure chest has washed up to the side of the store. I open it and discover a dubious berry, which grants 40 flesh and 40 will at the cost of poisoning oneself. A poisoned apple, let's say. I leave New Muldal and return to the humanoid in the overworld who said I can get to the landmass north if I use my new metaphor. I soar over the channel and into an all new landmass. This is a tiny island, it's bizarrely shaped and has something like a helipad hanging off the west side and a towering sculpture in the shape of a melting double helix with a red holographic spaceship spinning in place at the top. I enter this structure, or I try to, but what happens is a prompt appears saying, call airship uh hell yes but then it says you must first acquire an airship oh thanks there is another plank of land on this island pointing northeast i pneumatophore over it this is a much larger island a wide sandy beach gives way to sandstone cliffs with grassy hills beyond a winding path around a lake leads me to a freakishly shaped fortress of cream colored stone and i enter it this must be Vuax's edifice I begin in a large sandy courtyard with strange sculptures and a bobab-like trees. A winding staircase leads me to tall blue double doors, but I cannot enter. As I am leaping around the fortress walls, I fall into the drink and wash up to an all-new beach. By the way, I'm getting really good at washing up on beaches. A canoe and some bones are nearby, but I cannot operate the canoe without a paddle. Nearby is a tented lodge. Outside, a spiky humanoid with a head of two green horns but bearing no discernible face stands over a fire where a plucked Tyro is roasting on a rotating spit. I recognize this thing. It looks like the ox horn thing I saw at New Maldil. The thing that Wayne mistook as his friend Dedusselman. Wayne says the same thing to him. Dedusselman, how's it going? Wayne! I'm infiltrating the fortress. My research says that an intact cabinet lies within its walls. What's this thing's interest in cabinets? In intact cabinets. Wayne invites him to join forces. Dusselman agrees and hints that a canal leads under the fortress walls. He offers me a paddle and Dusselman joins the crew. I check the cooking Tyro and acquire meat. Inside the tented suite is a golden bone and a suitcase holding a cupcake which restores half my health and grants defending status. Four Tyros charge down a spiral stair nearby and a fight breaks out. It's a tyro plus two new creatures, a feral hydrostat and a road flame. A feral hydrostat is a quadrupedal dog like monster with a texture like creamy meringue with two worm like tails, an undulating mesh of tentacles where its mouth would be, and two mouths on top of two creamy eyestalks. A road flame is a human sized upturned carpenter's nail with two spindly legs and no arms racing forwards at me full bore. I take a moment to browse Pongorma and the Dusselman's gestures. Pong can I just say, can I say Pong? Can I just say Pong? Pong also has the life up in defense ability, Perom Bleb, the fire dot, soul crisper, but also lightning, which deals almost double the damage of a basic attack and stuns the target for a turn. The animation for lightning is spectacular. The black gloved hand dashes a finger to one side of the battlefield, then to the other, and then jabs the finger forward from which a jagged beam of electricity blasts a single enemy. <laughs> The Dusselman also has Peromor Bleb and Soul Crisper, but has foam armor which cleanses burning and leaking status elements while temporarily increasing maximum flesh. It looks like these gestures are unique to these particular characters. The road fleam does a continuous attack that doesn't hit very hard, and the other creature, the feral hydrostat, does simple basic attacks. When the fight is over, the creatures drop bones, mute, and antenna. I explore the area before I hop into the canoe. I find a fondue portal and flip the switch nearby, and atop a malformed tower I find a banana which restores a whopping 75 flesh. I take the canoe into the edifice and reappear in a cavern. I climb a staircase and see four prison cells. Before I can grasp what creatures are behind these bars, a brown figure charges me. We fight another Sillambog and a Cave Sinist plus a new creature called a Mycetic. It has a large yellow head with eight yellow balls rolling back and forth in separate grooves on its face, wispy arms, and three tentacles that dangle below a blue cloth covering its torso. I recall the Cave Sinist dealing good AoE damage with its knife skill so I focus it first. I get it down to single digit health but the Mycetic heals the Cave Sinist with an ability called Stem Cell. whose animation features a spinning Christmas tree-like fishing hook, which makes the Sin East recover health, and then the Sin East recovers more health by eating a mocapped cupcake. Now that it's defending and regenerating health at the same time, I refocus my energies on something else. Let's try the Silambog. The Mycetic summons literal shields of meat around itself and all of his friends, and they all have defense status now. Crap. Next time, I'll try to burn down the mice stick first. But it's too late now! The Sillabog is already at half health, let's just try to finish the job. Eventually, the other two go down as well. Man, that was a harder fight than I expected it to be. I glove slap a nearby organ, creature, bug thing for more health. One cell is empty, but another has an eerie humanoid looking thing with the head of a grey vampire squid swaying in place plus several diminutive creatures I saw in New Moldal. And then another cell has a simple bug, but the last cell has a large creature that looks like three humans lying on the ground melted together around an antique transistor radio and then painted dusty blue, with a neck rising above the mess holding up a cylindrical head of nothing familiar except an array of external gills that contract and release with every bob of its freakish neck good god. There is also a door here. I recognize doors, there's a door here. This door is locked so it might as well be another cell to me. I get into a few more battles in the courtyard beyond. I encounter a familiar enemy. An Electroland. Now I haven't fought him before, but this is the floating tentacle eyeball I saw on the title screen. It has abilities like tentacle Lash, where its eyeball bulges and the lashes strike a single crew member, bursting it and poisoning it. It can also put all of my crew to sleep with sleep spores, and then tentacle lashes on the same turn. He does this repeatedly when he's the last enemy on the screen. I die and we return to the afterlife. Wayne is slain.
1: I'm back!
0: Okay, now that that game over was on purpose. I wanted you to come by again. I wanna I wanna show you something. Yeah, right. Come over here to the kitchen. We got this brand new fridge I want you to check out.
1: Why do you want me to check out your fridge?
0: Well, I heard your birthday is coming up and I have a present for you. Okay, stand back. I'm opening the door now. Have a look inside.
1: Oh my gosh, it's a puppy! Wait a second. It's a hologram hey Tyler you tricked me damn it <laughs> hey hey
0: let me out all right now that we've taken care of that we can get back to focusing on the game now where was I I tender my meat again and my health goes up by 11 but was that for Wayne or just everybody I can't tell at this point I'll remember to check max health values next time it's about here that I realize there's no leveling in this game you simply tender meat and uh, that's just how you increase your durability in this game. I fondue portal back to Viewaxe's edifice and return to the courtyard. I feel like if I used Pongo's stun ability smartly, I would have been able to defeat that Electroland. I'll remember that next time. I take the canoe back into the edifice and walk the ramparts. I get into a fight with a cave Sinist Feral Hydrostat and Electroland. I decide to be in this order. Sinist Electrolan, hydrostat. When it's time to take down the Electrolan, I realize he counters with the AoE sleep plus single target burst poison, so the stun ability is basically a must. I do that, but he counters with a one-two attack anyways, which I find confusing. I glove slap bugs for more health. A train of tyros passes by. I successfully glove slap for an advantage to the start of the fight. It's two tyros and a fucking cynis. I burst the cynis, but when I burst the mice, with lightning. I realize it's the caster that gets stunned, not the target. I got that totally wrong back there. In the northwest corner of this area, I find a brown, three-legged chicken mutant with the size and heft of a bison. It looks horrifying. I fight it. It's a galiform. The thing is absolutely hideous. Its gizzard-spoon ability vomits an organ that oozes a fluid that gives dissolute status, which is a dot that also reduces attack power. It also has a haste ability whose animation is a human dancer thrashing about at increased speed standing on an intake device displaying a rack of rapidly pumping pistons or something like that. Inside a larger structure, there are several consoles impressed into a wall, plus a blue force field protecting a spinning yellow key. I follow a red power cord to a series of dark rooms where the usual hostile creatures await me. There's a floating larva in this battle, but it's called a Warpo. Warpo? W-A-R-P-O? I clean up the other creatures first, and when the Warpo is alone, it explodes and one-hit kills the Dusselman. I check an eerie, wane shaped statue in a dark corner. Its head spins off, and I find a soul sponge inside, which revives a dead ally. Convenient. I climb a cave wall, and at the top, the cord terminates at another console with Mini Cartoon Wayne cycling through a run animation on the display. When I select the console, the screen fades away. What is going on here? This game has just hopped its genre from isometric RPG adventure to 2D action platformer. And I think this place is called Xeno Arcadia. I personify this smaller Hollow Knight-esque version of Wayne who can roll, jump, double jump, dash jump, and shoot orange energy beams that can be charged up for a greater energy blast. I try to goomba stomp the first enemy I see and take damage. I guess I should have blasted it, silly me. This level feels like an earthworm gym level where the terrain is str- Strangely textured and the walking areas themselves are loosely held together chunks of debris The background is a cool night sky with wisps of clouds the music you guys the music This this is this is the best track in the Hilux 2 OST you guys mellow groovy sexy I feel like Queens of the Stone Age are lining up behind Daft Punk and David Bowie to make love to me in the Sea of Tranquility. I advance through the level. Touching the occasional floppy disk saves your progress throughout the stage, and it also saves any bones and items you've earned as well. An animated vase spews creatures that charge me, so I destroy the vase. A horned, dwarfish thing shooting dangerous waves of red energy will turn into a temporary platform when damaged. Winged uteruses dive-bomb me from the sky. A red placostomus with a knife in its back skulks around on the ground. A squid clinging to the top of a pyramid of trash fires needles with wings at me. This is an extremely hazardous zone, never mind the instant death spikes and lava beds. Good God, a jumping, galloping, zebra-striped nightmare chaotically bounds around in a large area that I've got to avoid. That's a a truculent, right? When you get hit while jumping in the air, you are stunned for an eternity. There's almost no chance for a midfall correction in this stage. It's, it's frustrating. I die, don't tell Game Over Girl, but I die 25 times on this stage before switching to easy mode.
1: I'm counting still. 25 times? 25 Game Overs?
0: Ah! Is this chaotic nonsense a challenge? Yes. Does it wear out its welcome and become a chore as fast as you can say, I found a warm burrito in a toilet? Yes. After an agonizing jumping section, I step onto a large, fat button in which a Terry Gilliam flying machine separates from the rest of the terrain and glides me forward through the night sky. It leads me to a Wayne head-shaped tower where a fleshy wrench is waiting for me. I walked to it, and cartoon Wayne presses into it, gets wrapped up into its bands of blue, and the tower takes off into the atmosphere like a rocket, propelled by rows of spinning blue and pink tendrils. This is the end of the platforming stage. We are back at the console at Vue Edifice. I'm sure I missed some secrets in the arcade nightmare world, but that's fine with me. That... that was... that was rough. That was a chore. Now let's see if completing that level released the force field nearby. Yes it did. It's gone, and I acquire the tower key. Higher up the edifice, I encounter the Pool Man. A Pool Man is a bipedal humanoid made of pockmarked chalk and with two stalks coming out the top of his head, sort of like a man in an easter bunny suit. I remember hearing someone say burning is effective on him, so I try it. It's effective enough, and it drops pool wine when it dies, which grants increased attack power and maximum will, but has a suspicious side effect that the tooltip does not explain. The next time I get into a fight with a Pool Man, it multiplies itself by giving its duplicate the original's current health value. It multiplies repeatedly throughout the battle, which I have trouble keeping up with given my team's limited items and resources, never mind the other enemies I have to contend with in this fight as well. The Pullman's Lambast attack, which is a combo featuring slaps to the face, adds insult to injury. Soon enough, I am overwhelmed and we get a game over. Wayne is slain.
1: Hello? This isn't fair. You're cheating. You don't get the game over without getting punished.
0: Back in the afterlife, I tender my meat and earn 20 more max health. That should make a big difference, but let's see. Two battles later, in the same area, I die again. Wayne is slain.
1: Are you getting the game over without me? I can hear you
0: dying in there! Okay. I'm back now, determined to get it right this time. I reach the top and find a locked door, but there's a path that continues to the right. I take the path to the right and find a grand hall lined with bones, decorative pools with large twists of coral, and an enormous hairy monster sitting on a throne with two minions waving palm leaves over him like as if he's a pharaoh. I'm afraid a boss fight is in my future, and I turn heel to go check out that locked door first. Inside is a small room of polished porcelain pink with a treasure chest to one side and a drain in the center of the room. Inside is a paper cup, for which the tooltip says simply, see cooler. I go down the drain, and it takes me to the lower levels of the edifice with the option to return to the treasure room. Oh, how nice. So let's go see this big, hairy, air-conditioned guy. He's about 15 feet tall, red, and hunched over. His no face looks like two bullhorns fastened to a fat boat anchor. He says he is Viewax, and presumes I am here to steal his guests, or, you know, prisoners. But someone named Odozir granted him the power to keep me from meddling. Nothing will stop Hylam Xylem, and that he anticipates my demise. We get into a fight with Viewax and four Tyros. I have this harebrained idea to have all three of my crew members drink pool wine on the first turn, and so I do. To hell with it, right? I'm desperate, but more so, I'm afraid. I've been getting my ass handed me in basic fights, and this is my first boss battle. So we hit him pretty hard, and it seems like the buff's effect only lasts one turn, and when it's over, my crew are put to sleep. Not awesome. Vuex can attack with clawed fingers, which is a single target burst, but he also has a charge-up ability called spiky circular, which bursts allies and foes alike, killing some of his friendly Tyros and a friend that the Tyros called in for help, but the chance of victory is slowly slipping through my fingers. My only hope is to kill Vuex first and hope that the battle simply ends then, but a few turns later we don't make it. Wayne is slain.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Okay, I'm back for round two. I burst Viewax as hard as I can, totally ignoring the four Tyros. Hey, Viewax has a probability to destroy them on his own, doesn't he? Wayne issues Crisper, Pongo issues Lightning, and Diduslemon also issues another Soul Crisper. Second turn, Wayne Soul Crispers again. The Tyros all stab me, and Viewax restores health with a cookie. We're pretty much out of will by now, so the Q snaps at Viewax, hoping that will clean up the rest of his health. It works. Viewax explodes into gooey fibers, and a large spinning silver key takes his place on the battlefield. But the battle carries on the Tyros are still here. We still have to clear the Tyros. Hylix 2 is no bullshit about their boss battles. You must even clear the non-boss creatures in the encounters. The Tyros are all calling for help. Two newly invited cave sinis are throwing knives all over me and it's too much. Wayne is slain.
1: You'll be really sorry you really, really be sorry when I get out of
0: here. Round three. We do a one-turn dissolution on Viewax, which is a dot and damage reduction, and then the other two burst a Tyro right away. Okay, there's only three Tyros to contend with now. Viewax does a turn two charge up, so since I know that spiky radius is coming, I chip at the other three Tyros' health as a means to nudge them to getting destroyed by Viewax's friendly fire. But one of the Tyros sees this coming and flees the battle. The spiky radius kills the third and the fourth Tyros and leaves the rest of my party with half health. He's at 135 out of 180, so let's snap his ass. We drill his health to just six left when he spiky radiuses again, but we've recovered enough health in recent turns to endure it. Wayne gets a final snap on him and Vuex perishes. We're showered in bones, cookies, mute, muscle applique, and two jail keys. When we return to the map, the throne is empty. So let's go to the dungeon. I used one jail key on the door before the big button. I jump on the button and all other jail doors open. The more normal looking humanoid, which is a joke to say. It says, they want to execute a Hylum xylem with special gestures, then invites me to visit his shop next time around, then vanishes. I do not know where his shop is located or if I will ever recognize him again due to the pea soup fog of weirdness I am barely walking through in this game. I talk to the grotesque, everything melted together monstrosity. It says its name is Blairall, magnate of New Moldal. "'What brings me to his humble abode?' Wayne lies to him and says he and his crew have convinced Vuax to commute his sentence." Blairol thanks me, invites me to visit his throne room in New Maldol, and disappears. I cast Parish as a means to get to New Maldol as fast as possible through the fondue teleport in the afterlife. Wait, wait, that's a battle-only skill, so I didn't actually do that. Awesome. Future Tyler is not present to tap current Tyler on the shoulder and point to the tiny crystal among his things. In spite of myself, I make it back to New Maldol. I speak to Blerol lounging on his green comfortable couch. He says, A new crisis is upon us. When the tyrant Gibby was defeated... I presume these are the events that took place in the original HILUX, a remnant remained. We call it the Gibulet and we possess it. I take it that that means Blairel has the Gibulet and has locked it in a vault. But agents of Odozir coerced us to provide the location of the vault and they are now at work to unseal it. He hands me the dock key and I can use it to access an airship which will take me to the Gibulet's location on the island of Foglast to the south. The scene cuts away to chaotic music and evil hands working to open a twisted vault, which reveals a golden sarcophagus. The sarcophagus rises out of a hole. In the ground and floats above a barren wasteland where a horde of frenzied cultists, acolytes, I don't know, are ecstatic at their newfound treasure. Back in New Maldol, I feel compelled to seek out this shopkeep that I freed, but I find the gate to the dock first. I unlock it with the key and ascend a tower. Shopkeeps can wait. Let's find the airship. Wow, this is cool. We're back in the overworld now, and I'm flying an airship. The music is watery jazz with delicate, thrumming guitar chords and muted, sexy bass. This song sounds like a bump of Special K on the French Riviera. The airship is shaped like a jet fighter carved out of gummy bear sandstone propelled by three rocket engines throwing red and white energy trails behind it. Wayne is visible on the airship. I mean, he sits on top of the large contraption. There is no cockpit that I can see. We are at liberty to cruise around the world map as we please. After a minute of cruising, you can see all the landmasses, sometimes a lonely spit of land others a theme park of sandy yellow beaches, desolate highlands, tufts of green forests, and spires of twisting earth taking the most unusual shapes imaginable. But as you fly above this timeless ocean, you develop an unsettling sense of place in this post-human world. It is a strange, familiar unfamiliarness. It is the uncanny valley of planet Earth. From here, I can see the Wayne House and New Maldol on one landmass, the airship Port Island between that landmass and Vueax's domain, but there are plenty other islands. One is a bunker with an enormous TV antenna built atop a hill, another is an archipelago, four islands in a row, almost certainly a pneumatophore parkour course. A three fingered claw atop a birch bark tower is bounding balls of yellow energy somewhere in the distance. I chase these energy balls. The balls are pouring into an identical clawed tower inside a blue sphere, perhaps a half mile in diameter. A force field for which there is a structure inside that I cannot see very well and the airship cannot penetrate this force field. In another corner is the final landmass for which three villages or fortresses or habitations, I don't even know. The habitation at the deepest part of the island has three clawed towers as well and the center is also firing yellow energy across the ocean. I follow its trajectory across the ocean. Ah, it goes to another clawed tower rising up out of the sea identical to the first one I saw. I return to New Moldo Talk to Blairel again, and he hints that there is a force field I have to deactivate to get to Foglast, and gives me a hundred bones for the trouble. I think I've been saying Duzelman's name wrong. I think it's just Duzmon, so I'm going to try that going forward. Duzmon. I visit the glove shop, I can buy the most powerful glove available, the Tendril Hand, and one of the second most powerful gloves, the Pleather Gauge. The Tendril Hand offers a well-rounded 12 power, 12 speed, 12 flesh, and the Tendril Hand has simply 18 power. It is only now that I discovered Dadosmoln has no items equipped whatsoever, and Pongorma has only a weapon, no accessory. Wayne gets the Pleather Gauge and Dadosmoln, who has the lowest amount of will, gets the Tendril Hand as a means to make up for having the least will of the crew. I find the shopkeeper I've recovered in View Axe's edifice, but I don't feel like buying any. and similar from them. I put on the Leak onto the 2 too, which increases power permanently. Finally, I take New Muldul's Fondue Portal to the afterlife where I tender my meat. Okay, let's go find a way to take down that force field. I recall that fortress with the three claws, so I land the ship on that island. But I can't land the ship just anywhere. Just specially designed airship landing pads. I land and walk to the first point of interest. Thing. It looks like an enormous hip bone pressed up against a cliff. Inside, a human with blue skin, a green rain poncho, and a red, wide-brimmed hat that looks more like an electrical outlet cover is driving a spear into the sand and twisting the end around. I can see four of them here in the clearing. Three are at work while a fourth watches the others while standing on top of a large, heaving duodenum that has a large yellow tumor of fat on each of its segments. I discover a juice box. It is my juice box now. One of these guys says they get the juice beasts from a foreign supplier. And they that a new egg was brought to the house recently. The second of these folks reviews the several careers he's had in his lifetime, Calthamite motivator, sympathetic jumper, and contract extruder, before settling on juice ranching, and they farm juice from these enormous viscera-looking worm things. The third laborer says a lot of folks nowadays don't know where juice comes from. The foreman asks if I can feel the frequency, and then says he expects this one will be ready soon, referring to the giant worm the digestive system he's standing on. Another rancher nearby says ranching is clean, honest work. I ascend a ramp and walk under a gate flying the new Moldal flag. Up here there are clusters of slappable creatures. Another rancher on a ledge welcomes me and gives me a rancher poncho. Pongi equips it. I enter a room with several monsters that look hostile to me on one side, but the other has a TV. I race to the CRT and select it. Wayne's hands come up on the screen as a few sound effects and abstract claymation animations play out. We learn Fate Sandbox, which according to the tooltip is a buff in which its target will be immune to negative statuses for 3 turns, but is ineffective against stunned targets. It costs 50 will, which is a huge amount considering my crew has at a maximum 35 to 60 will at the moment. I walk to the cluster of creatures and slap the nearest one. No effect. But I can talk to it. It is a creature with a blue, human-like face, a spiky bone helmet, red rain poncho, and shiny leather leggings. This is the most human-like thing I've seen all game. It says, Ah, Wayne, help me out here. And we enter into a battle. As the battle screen loads, I can see this person has joined my party. Its name is Samsnosa. And the four of us are in a battle with a Pool Man, Electroland, Truculent, and a new creature called a Coutured. It looks like a powered-up version of the Silembog I've met earlier, but instead of a silvery sea angel body, this Coutured looks more like a yellow Snapdragon wearing a pleated baby blue dress. Wayne's soul crispers the Pool Man first because holy shit, that can get out of hand. Samsnos is up next. I check out his or her gestures. They're about the same as the others except she... except... You know, I think it is a she, so I'm just gonna say she. Except she has a new one I haven't seen before, Wave Artifice. Wave Artifice is Samznos' unique gesture. It is an AOA spell doing 80% normal damage to all opponents, but if charged, how do you charge, I don't know, it deals another two attacks to random enemies for 50 will. Fuck it, let's use it. Two gloved hands make gentle wave motions and waves of water strike all enemies. Of course, the Electroland puts us all to sleep next, and I should have known better. Every other time I hit the Couture, it renders itself invulnerable to the next attack. When you clear the invulnerability, it deals a huge amount of damage to a single target. The rest of the battle ends easily enough. When it's over, Samsnosa thanks me and says, the monsters hid themselves inside a juice beast egg. You know, like a Trojan horse, or a Trojan intestine. Pongo says they are agents of Odozier. We earn a worm room key, which we can use at their headquarters north of here. A fridge nearby has another pair of pleather gauge, which I equipped to my new party member. I pause to review my crew. I have four characters and I know so very little about them. Do we learn more about them in the original Hilux game? I have no idea. I have a moon-headed man, a female-looking poncho person, a bull-headed soldier man, and a spiky helmet guy wearing an adult-sized onesie. They all know each other, but how? And why? Samsonosa is the most human-looking one. Did she drop into this world somehow? Maybe that would have made for a better audience surrogate, although Wayne has an undeniable air of a leading role about him. Maybe it's the leather. There isn't anything else here, so I leave the Juice Ranch and march north and arrive at the Forked Fortress. There is a fondue well nearby. I step on the button, next to it, registering it to the afterlife fondue Charon. This first area is a desolate clearing with nothing else nearby besides a winding stair leading to a locked door tall and painted blue. I use the worm room key on it and the door opens. I return to the afterlife via the Fondue portal, restore flesh and will, tender a little meat and return. According to the Fondue Charon, this new destination is called Shield Facility. I sink into the muck and reappear there. The facility's first room is an empty room of tan putty floor. My first fight is with a leggy truculent and the dog-like feral hydrostat. Less than two rounds of snaps later we destroy them all. I descend a red ladder and observe a pool man monitoring a grotesque fish inside a large test tube or aquarium or artificial womb that takes the shape of an ocarina. I slap this asshole for an advantage and fight a pool man, truculent, and a new foe called Post-dog. It is a very post-canine-canine, more like a bone-white, four-legged gargoyle with a Demetrodon sail on its back. The post-dog hits hard and attacking it, enrages it, increasing its power even more. I check the creature in the tank, and a prompt says the creature clenches furiously. Back away, back far, far away. A button on the ground nearby opens a door shaped like a sarcophagus. I go in. The music changes to something eerie and uncertain and anxious. I'm surrounded by blackness, save for a brown path snaking northbound. I feel claustrophobic, and like I'm inside of a body, like the final Giygas room in Earthbound. I walk north, and the path kind of comes to life. It reveals more path as we penetrate the darkness. It sort of like unfurls itself, or paints itself just one step ahead of me as I advance forward. I feel like I'm in that dark forest in the latter half of Alice in Wonderland, but it's more than just the path that appears in the paranoid darkness. A red gate sprouts up out of the ground, and I pass through it. Then appears red Corinthian columns, orange undulating misshapen rocks, blue tentacle plants, and dancing bones. Orange sea horrors swim idly in the foreground, giving me the impression that I am walking along the bottom of a pitch black ocean. More columns, more rocks, and then a blue staircase. In the next room, the eerie brown path continues to unfold as we weave around more rocks, sea creatures, and blue tentacles. The path becomes increasingly abstract. Originally it unfolded before me slowly, carefully, now it races ahead of me to display unusual abstract curves, or another path races in from the side to connect to the path I'm on. The paths get increasingly complicated and entangled, and I enter into a battle. Those sea horrors on the screen are interactable, that is, aggroable. New battle music plays? I find a quote, hand of moodbleen, a squid, and a syllimbog. The Hand of Moodbleen is a quadrupedal monstrosity that walks on two human legs and two human hands, but whose torso is a mass of red muscle longer than it is wide, with six stalks rising upwards, which each end in a three-fingered claw that have three ear bones hovering above them. The arms and legs have metal armor on them, and one of its abilities is called Cranial Gloom, in which a mo-capped glove hand squeezes around a crew member's head and reduces their snapping power. The squid is a blue and red sea angel with two pink tentacles flapping at its sides, plus a crown of other small red tentacles around an unrecognizable mound of textures I have trouble calling a face. The squid charges up an attack, but I kill it before it can execute it. I'm feeling increasingly lost in this interminable black underwater forest of winding haunted trails, dead ends, obscure structures, and cul-de-sacs of bones. At least it's easy to know if I've been somewhere before, because the path behind me remains unfurled. In a corner to the western end, I find a cave key, and I wonder what it unlocks. In the eastern side, I find a staircase descending downwards. More blackness, more unfolding path, more sea horrors. This room is smaller and packed with bones. In the next room, the paths are crisscrossing one another over and over, almost creating entire rooms in its winding scribbling. I find a fondue warp and activate it, but I don't want to leave just yet. What is the point of this place anyways? Not much farther, I discover another staircase. And in this room, the paths are winding forward in grandiose symmetry, like as if I've arrived at a throne room. At the end of this room, an enormous drinking horn spins in place against a background of twinkling stars and ancient red columns. The horn sounds and a cosmic warthog of DMT doom charges out of the ether. It's boss battle time. This thing has two expressive eyes that bulge out of the center of tentacle stalks, has a slathering mouth, yellow rubber cleaning gloves in its cheekbones wriggling its fingers at me, and four spindly claws. Behind its face is its segmented body, like a millipede with countless three-toed blue legs that propel the monster forward. The top of its head and the top of all of its segments has an array of bulging tentacles or spines? I don't know. I don't know. I get hedgehog vibes from this thing. It's a mutant warthog hedgehog millipede, Jesus Christ and its name, Fonthintrilpine. Fonthintrilpine. And it has 480 health, VUX had, what, 180? The creature casts a haste ability in which a black glove draws a circle with its upward-pointed finger, like the battle system itself is ushering the creature to hurry up. On its next turn, it puts my team to sleep twice and casts 100 kicks twice, which reduce all members to a quarter of their original health. No, that is not a haste ability. It's called Accelerate, and it allows the creature to attack twice in a turn, and it cannot be cleansed. The gang eats burritos, bananas, and cupcakes to restore flesh and will. It attacks four times in a row, again. It also has a single target attack that deals about 60% of a person's health. This is too much damage. Wayne is slain. Hello. Hey, how about you? How about you relax for a bit while I try to finish this game? I'm not letting you out until I do. Afterlife, tender meat, fondue portal to this new area, which the fondue tender says is the worm pod. This is the worm pod. This winding forest of blackness. It's called a worm pod. Could have fooled me. New strategy for Phanthin Pain. Go hard on this guy from the beginning. No defending, not even when the layers of AOE damage come in. Burst him down before he can burst me down. It accelerates again, puts my team to sleep twice again, but he doesn't issue the 100 kicks a second time. The strategy works. Fontultropine has been von Slain Tropine. We cut to the overworld and see the blue force field covering that structure I saw earlier. The blue sphere shimmers and shakes, then bursts into pieces. This place must be accessible now. Foglast, domain of Odozir, the leader of this giddy Resurrection cult. Continued in part two. <laughs>